everyone. Welcome to another edition of the latest Shiny Podcast. This is your co-host, uh, Stephen Spector. And with me, of course, Rob Hirschfeld. Rob, how are you? Hello, Stephen. I am feeling very unpopular today. Very unpopular. Well, I, you know, <laughs> we, we had a meeting uh, previous to this, like real business meeting, and your dog was very, very loud. So my fingers are crossed. Your dog has got all his noise out. So the podcast will be nice and quiet today. He was, yeah, he was, his stomach, his stomach was upset, which doesn't make such good podcast recording. No, I was more, I was more joking about the unpopular opinions. Oh, yes, uh, I, I encourage presentation. It the video is out and I know I promoted it on the Edge Gravity stuff. His talk that he did at the Edge conference this week, eight popular, unpopular opinions, very good, uh, worth checking out. And if you don't agree, as he puts in there, come on the podcast. So yes. um, we have a tool new, for the podcast. So I'm, I'm excited, Rob, because we have a new topic we haven't done with uh, someone new, which is again great stuff. And um, I also will comment before I, uh, you know, introduce Aaron Reinhardt and, and have him come on. I just want to say he's they've done a very interesting thing with their website. Uh, the company's name is Verica. It's I think it's hopefully I said it right, and it's Verica.io. And if you go. Retro 90s was the feel, and it's definitely retro 90s, and uh, it's quite cool. I haven't seen anyone do that, so uh, I encourage our listeners to go over there. But Aaron, welcome to the uh, podcast, and uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah it's definitely 90s, definitely 90s retro blog. <laughs> it is very 90s retro blog, and even your the I've been looking at the the uh, font of your company name is quite interesting. I don't think that's 90s, but uh, I, I, I like it very much. And was I right when I called it Verica? Is that the way you say it? Yeah, yeah. yeah so, you, you're right. It's very, it's very hipster with the logo meets 90s blog. So. <laughs> I, I like it. it. So, Aaron, before we start uh, talking chaos engineering, if you can just give us a, a short background on yourself so our listeners get an idea of uh, – um, yourself, where you come from, what the company's working on, and then, uh, you know, Rob and myself will jump in with lots of questions. Sure. Well, I am the, currently, I am the CTO and co-founder of Verica. Uh, my co-founder is uh, Casey Rosenthal, the creator of Chaos Engineering and Netflix. I am most notably known as sort of the creator of uh, the application of Chaos Engineering to cybersecurity. I did that at United Health Group. I was there before I co-founded with Casey, and I served as the chief security architect for the entire company while I was there. Um, that's kind of a, the 30-second version. Interesting. And so, and so is there, I mean, do you see security and chaos engineering as separate things, or is, is chaos engineering a part of the path to security? How much are those well, separate? Well, it's, it's all chaos, right? You know, that's, that's what everybody always tells me, right? It's a... Uh, yeah, no, I mean, um, I, I, I see security as just another application of it. I mean, to be honest, I mean, I, um, I came out, um, most of my career has been as an engineer. You know, I started off in networking and systems and I got into software and data and, you know, and like, you know, I've never really looked at the system as being like this, the security stuff and the other parts of the system. It's kind of like, it's one system, right? It's one set of engineering, right? And, um, you know, but like, so... Uh, the application of chaos engineering to security are really actually no no, no different than the uh, applications to the more uh, traditional availability performance type of uh, experiments. So as as much as I want to dive in deep on chaos engineering, I, I 
I have a strong intuition that this is one of those poorly understood terms where people think they know what it means, but don't. <laughs> can you, can, you know, I, I, I'm not a big fan of us doing 101 conversations. So can you give us the 201 version of what the, the intermediate level, uh, what, what chaos me engineering means uh, from your practice? Let's see, the 201. So let's say, so let me, let me start with the basic. I'll give you my definition, okay? Okay. So I like to refer to chaos engineering as the methodology or, or, or technique of proactively introducing turbulent conditions into a system to try to determine by what conditions a system or service will fail before it actually does, right? We do that through techniques such as failure injection, fault injection. Mm. We're, we're sort of introducing... Um, failure into the system to try to surface the inherent failure or chaos in the system already. Does that make sense? So, so kind of, yeah, go ahead. So part of, part of what we're, you're, you're starting from a basis of is that the systems are failing. <laughs> it's, um, you're, you're not assuming that there's a steady state, you know, and everything, the, the lake is calm and smooth before you start throwing stones in it. That's well, yes. So there is so there are there are principles and rule sets to chaos engineering. But the point is entirely entirely valid to say that the normal condition of any system, already human for that matter, is to fail. Right? It's it's if you have a system that doesn't fail, I would be seriously concerned about that system. Interesting. So you're starting with a some core assumptions, which sound to me very agile, sort of lean lean concepts, right? Do something, you know, if, 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 if you're afraid of it breaking, do it more, break it more. Is that sort of the mentality with this? Yeah. Yeah. Right. If it's not broken, I mean, like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like your systems, it's humans that keep systems from failing, right? Like, so let's think about this for example. So we love to think about our systems, like think about the day zero design, right? So we love to think of like, we're gonna have a three-step process. We have the plan, we got our time and resources and we got the outcome. We're gonna we're gonna deploy, and then we got you know a, a beautiful 3D diagram of the system and shows all the cool bits and stuff, and you know uh, we go forth and we deploy the system because the system was uh, the system um, our system almost never looked that simple or the process is never that simple. Right. right. But what happens after about a week of deploying the system, all of a sudden you have uh, marketing comes down and tells you that uh, they got the pricing model wrong. You have to go back and refactor the pricing. Uh, API or the yeah uh, or the, I mean, the, uh, the microservice right or you know uh, day eight comes down there's an out of the payments API and you have to hard code a token right and of course you go back and you fix those things but my, I guess the point I'm trying to articulate here is systems engineering is way more messy than we like to remember it and part of that is it's part of its kind of science is that as humans we can't we can't grok and like process all that change data and that information we have to abstract and simplify. And, and it sort of creates this condition by which we believe our systems are actually that simple and they never are and they never will be. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. So there's, to me, and, and I, I'm glad you're articulating it this way, there's a deep human component of chaos engineering. It's not just, hey, here's a tool that's gonna make, you know, that's gonna implement chaos engineering in my, in my company. It, there, there's gotta be a human component. You've gotta think about your systems from that perspective. Is, is, I, I love the way you summarize that. I love that. Okay. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's precisely it. So the, our goal with chaos engineering 
is to correct our mental model of how we think the system works in our heads and how it actually functions in reality. We do that through a, uh, through a scientific method using a hypothesis. We say, I believe that when X occurs on my system, X event, that we have designed Y to remediate, detect, prevent that from occurring, right? Okay. But how often do you ever actually test those assumptions, right? So chaos engineering is a way to inject that question into the system and determine whether you're actually right or not. And I will tell you, I have never ever experienced a chaos engineering experiment that was successful the first time. Makes a lot of sense. So, right, because it's people are very bad at predicting what what the what the cons the unintended consequences of the, these actions are. Um, let alone in some cases the intended consequences. Um, from that perspective, I guess that there's. I, I, and there was, I'd love to get a more current example because the examples I've heard are probably from Casey at Netflix or from Adrian Cockroft describing Casey's work in net, at uh, Netflix where talking about chains of events and, you know, overloading systems because, you know, traffic would reroute or automatically reflow. Could you, can you give us a, a vignette of, of a good, good unintended consequences story? Uh, well, it seems like the things we think never, would never happen almost always happen. <laughs> um, that seems to be the case. Uh, I can describe some, you know, some sort of chaos engineering, generic sorts of examples. I can explain okay. uh, my 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 specialty in the space is more around uh, the security experiments. Uh, hmm. But like, you know, um, you know, uh, I'll, let me give a good. I'll tell you a story. How about a story? I Everybody love stories. So when Casey uh, had just sort of started um, uh, evangelizing chaos engineering amongst the Valley and different places, conferences and whatnot, you know, um, you know, a bank actually, one of the first banks, uh, you know, do chaos engineering, I won't name who it is, but like uh, they, um, they called Casey and they asked him if he would fly out to their, their, their offices and give a tech talk and, and be there on site for their first game day or manual chaos engineering exercise. So during this exercise, so they told Casey, like, Casey, we're, we're a bank. We have real money on the line, right? Uh, and so we can't do chaos engineering uh, on production. So we're going to do it on non-prod, okay? And Casey's like, okay, well, you know, uh, that, is, uh, that really doesn't make any sense to not, as of even, uh, anyway. Um, so <laughs> like, what, what, so uh, if you have outages or you have incidents, you, you have a need to do chaos engineering regardless whether you're um, – you have a bank or you're, <laughs> you're doing, you're doing chaos engineering anyway. You might as well control it is what you're saying. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's precisely <laughs> right. That's precisely right. It's, I mean, the chaos is already there. It's like, you're going to surface it and deal with it. Or are you going to let it just run your life? You know? Um, well, so yeah. So, uh, you know, he said, okay, well, well let's do it. So, so the, what they were going to do was they decided they were going to bring down, kill one of their Kafka nodes and they designed a system to immediately for the service broker to spin up another node, right? And to move all the traffic over and to fail over perfectly, right? Well, um, so remember, they're doing this on non-prod, like a staging environment. And so they scheduled it, they went for it, they actually, um, they executed the experiment and to bring down a Kafka node in, in the staging environment. And can you, either one of you tell me what happened? Uh, my bet would be that it brought down prod. Um, <laughs> that's exactly what happened. That's yeah. exactly what happened. I was hoping Prodlin I was wrong. Oh, so here's, here's the crux of what's great about this story, right? Is that like, it's, um, 
is that it's a good reminder of the, of the system engineering is messy conversation in that uh, they had forgot to, to change the pointers to, to, to uh, uh, you know, uh, after they deployed. And so they, over time, because of all these, of all the things that we, we don't remember, or we don't like, you know, uh, or we can't possibly incorporate in our thinking, um, uh, they had created this weird dependency on Brad. They did not know that. But what was great about this whole situation was everybody that had the ability to fix it or take care of the problem was in the room, right? It's like when you're doing control burn, uh, I'm, I'm, I grew up on a farm. So like when you, when you burn the field, you, you don't just light a match and let it go and go, go eat a pizza, right? You, uh, you know, you, you got to call the county, you got to register, you got to, you got to, you know, you fill out some forms. Uh, you know, you have an ENT on site in case there's any issues. All, like, all because it didn't go that way one time, but yes, that's right. <laughs> right, but that's, but that's kind of like, um, but chaos, chaos engineering is the same way with the game day exercise. It's kind of what it's for. Is like, you know, because uh, we're kind of expecting it to fail, you know, and um, but what was great is that there was no war room, there was no outage, there was no loss to the, to the, to the bank, to the, uh, no, no customer pain, right? They proactively figured out, crap, you know, this could have been catastrophic had this occurred when we weren't experimenting, when this was an actual outage. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And then since it was in a non-prod system, the likelihood of some, somebody shutting it off, right? We, we do some work with banks too. And we, we find they, I don't think it's chaos engineering, but they will sweep through and turn machines off or reset them at seemingly random times. Um, usually on Friday afternoons, and um, <laughs> and it takes down unexpected as unexpected consequences throughout the <laughs> infrastructure. So I could easily see a test, you know, this non-prod system, somebody being like, ah, we don't need this node or reset this node, and then it flips over when people aren't looking for it, um, which I think is exactly the point oh, for, exactly. for that's, chaos. That's probably how that would have happened, right? Right? Is yeah. that somebody like, oh shit, we don't, we don't need this, or let's let's go ahead and refresh staging. You know, and all of a sudden there goes prod. And what? Why the hell did that happen? That shouldn't. That should never occur, right? Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, that makes that makes a ton of sense from from how these things go. Um, and then, yeah, and that's one of the funny things to me about chaos engineering. It's it. I how? <laughs> let me ask it as a question. How do you make sense of of unintended consequences? Because really, you're you're doing science, these are experiments, they're, they're, they're intended to be controlled. You do one thing and then, you know, something, you know, the, the butterfly effect takes over and, you know, something tips over someplace else. How do you, how do you have a process around that? So that's where the principles of chaos.org comes in. So I mentioned, I briefly sort of hinted that there's a series of rules, um, you know, like principles of chaos articulates uh, what are the, so the rules to a chaos experiment. Where you have to control the blast radius, right? You have to, uh, uh, you know, define the scope. You know, uh, you know, define and understand steady state as much as possible, right? Like because you're precisely right. Is that with chaos engineering, we're not so much worried about a failure injection on one on, on the initial node, an initial um, um, uh, target. We're actually trying to to um, to surface cascading failure, like dependency sorts of issues where you have you mentioned chaos theory and the butterfly effect, right? That comes from complex adaptive systems, right? And the, right. so complex adaptive systems is a term in applied science by physics, right? Where you have certain systems, certain systems have certain characteristics. 
you know, weather patterns, financial markets, nation state political interactions, and large scale distributed systems have these types of interactions like nonlinear dynamics. So nonlinear dynamics is what that means is kind of uh, the system is no longer linear in how it operates and functions. And linear, what I mean by linear is that when there's a one, uh, when there's cause and effect, one plus one will equal two in a linear world, right? Well, right. in this world, we're working with these large scale distributed systems. Uh, and it, what happens is one plus one may equal negative 9,000. It's because, think about, let, let's use, let's, it would be, I don't I live in DC, so it wouldn't be DC without making fun of uh, Donald Trump. So like, so let's, let's take Donald Trump <laughs> and social media interactions, right? I'm just gonna make, make a, little, a little joke, right? Um, like, is that, so let's say, a nation, so nation-state political interactions are a good example of a complex adaptive system. So what happens is Donald Trump will tweet something about, I don't know, let's say he's in China, and he tweets something about the, the Chinese pegging the, the RMB to, to the dollar or something, right? Uh, he'll, he'll post it on Twitter, and you'll have all these other leader, world leaders acting and reacting and reacting constantly to that, to that, to that post, and right. then everyone else is acting reacting to those world leaders as a result of their posts, right? So everyone's, everyone in this complex adaptive system is constantly acting and reacting to each other. So that's how you get like the, when the ripple effect uh, starts happening, you start to get these weird outcomes that, that don't make any sense at all. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm thinking of a less political example, but for, <laughs> for, for us, right, you know, we love to talk about edge infrastructure um, and, and how things are going, but I could easily see cases where, you know, uh, uh, some, some data collection event or capacity, um, right, edges are going to be very capacity limited, um, and you could run out or exhaust capacity without, without any real thought to it, and then trigger a, the, a cascading event across, you know, across a whole bunch of edge infrastructures, or you could, uh, sensors could fail, right, you know, elevators could stop, right? all sorts of nightmare scenarios from that perspective. So these are, these are, I mean, ultimately the politics aside, these are high stakes, you know, high stakes events when, when things go awry. Oh, precisely. You could, you could, you could end up with a, you know, million dollar cloud bill because you know, you were spinning up a whole bunch of VMs all, you know, in response to a, a system and not realizing that that had happened. Well, so, in, so, go ahead. You spot on. I just want to. It's kind of like uh, you mentioned Cockcroft earlier too, and Cockcroft yeah. has, um, you know, uh, he has one uh, thing that he says I really like. I like it. He's, he calls the way we look at disaster recovery today as uh, availability theater. Right? Our systems almost never feel that way. Right? Like, I mean, uh, what I mean by that mm. way, I, what I mean is that where you know a lot of your regulatory requirements out there will have you do a full hot site back uh, failover and. And you like, um, you know, you got to do your backup restore test. Like it's, 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 it, I'm not so sure it was, that, that exercise was effective 10 years ago uh, any more than it is today. But like uh, our systems certainly just don't operate that way anymore. Right. And right. like, you know, um, and our system is failing all the time. We should be more concerned about, you know, building resilient systems than, um, I don't know, than what a Cockroft calls availability theater. Um, but uh, anyway, I yeah, like so. I like that I like that way of thinking about it, right? That's because you're right. The but this comes back to humans not not being very good at predicting or not being good. Full stop. Period. Um, just own that we're not good at it. Um, the the way that the way that faults happen. Um, 
And I mean, it's anybody working in the tech space should, you know, should know, right? We, we aren't going to be able to predict all the failures, even if we bang on all what we think are edge cases, you know, world's going to surprise us. I was, no, I was going to say, I mean, your, your, your company, are, do you have um, an opinionated way to approach looking at this problem or improving people's ability to solve this problem? So we do. So like, so Casey and I came together as sort of, he created chaos engineering. I created the, this new application to cybersecurity. And what we wanted to do is really bring sort of a, you know, a product to market that is delightful to use, but also safe to do these types of experiments and get value from it. You know, uh, really the market exists of a very few commercial solutions uh, or very few sophisticated types of solutions that sort of on the space I'm referring to. Uh, and mostly open source. The open source tools themselves come with a warning label, right? I mean, you are really injecting failure. You got to be careful. You got to make sure you're doing it right. You got to, in, in the, you know, there's maturity uh, life cycle or curve. You got to climb a little bit with the open source stuff, you know, uh, just make sure. Because if, if you just start breaking stuff, um, I'm pretty sure, you know, chaos engineering is not going to be a practice that your company work at, right? Um, right, that makes sense. But, but so, I mean, so um, with, without getting, we really don't talk too much publicly right now because you're still in stuff. Okay. That's, and that's, that's fine. It, but there's a lot of, but uh, just uh, so you can look at, so basically what we're building is the most sophisticated. So Casey built the most sophisticated application of chaos engineering on Netflix called, okay. it's called app, uh, the chaos automation platform. It runs about 10,000 experiments a day on Netflix. Uh, and, you know, we are, Casey and I are not people that are sort of redo what we did in the past, uh, but like we are taking um, all the lessons learned from chat from, from Chaos Slinger, the tool that we, I wrote at United Health Group, uh, and um, uh, some other important pieces uh, to sort of bring that, that's safe for more sophisticated product uh, to the enterprise market. That makes sense. And so from a product perspective, you know, it's it, it feels to me, and I guess this is my challenge with the way I've heard seen chaos engineering, you know, done. I mean, I know that you can sort of, you know, wrap um, some circuit breaker patterns in front of say a Kubernetes cluster and, and feel like you've, you've accomplished something. Um, okay. Maybe, maybe I, and, and I, I'm interested in your opinion on, on is, you know, on that, because I assume that can go south a million different ways, but is there a sort of a programmatic way to do this? You know, or, or do people, you know, can, can somebody step back and say, oh, okay, there's some things I can do that would, that would help me, you know, maybe in observability or maybe in control or maybe, you know, just, just add into my infrastructure as I build it to get to create better, uh, you know, circuit breaker patterns or something like that? So what's funny is that, so if you say circuit breaker, I, I would respond to that with Hystrix. A lot of people use Hystrix, right? Okay. That. Uh, and uh, I, I, Casey, I mean, I'm, Casey tells the story better than I do, but Casey said Netflix did use CHAP to actually validate uh, Hystrix. Uh, so I thought that's, that's sort of interesting. Um, but, and and uh, I want to make sure I, 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 you're, you're saying Hystrix? Oh, Hystrix, H-Y-S-T-R-I-X. It's basically the circuit breaker um, open source software that Netflix has. Ah, uh, okay. Thank you. Uh, but um, yes, what was I, what's it with that? Um, so Kubernetes, right? So Kubernetes, So our product today does work with Kubernetes, Istio Envoy, uh, as well as a few other 
so we we're writing real software. It's not it's not a SaaS product per se. Uh, so it's this sort of deploys sort of on prem, on prem meaning anywhere you have your stuff. You know, it could run in the data center, it could run um, in the cloud provider. You know, um, but uh, and we write targets, some sort sort of modules, and Kubernetes Istio Envoy is one of those. Uh, but Kubernetes, what I, what I really discovered with that is that it, it's it's uh, Kubernetes is um, Kubernetes is a very complex piece of software. It really is. It's 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 great in theory, but like it's very difficult to manage, uh, run and build, uh, and keep it in in a um, uh, to keep it running in an optimal way. The, you know, the, if uh, the infrastructure itself, or the intent platform, or the impact of the intent platform on the on the applications that you're you're ramping. Well, I would say both, right? I mean, like, you know, I don't know why. So the security side, I, that's where I see it. That's where I pay more attention to than sort of the the performance sorts, sorts of, uh, you know, hmm. uh, engineering issues. Like, but on the security side, like, you know, um, just some of the some of the things you think should, just would never happen may be happening. Like, people keep exposing the the, the Kubernetes API to the internet. <laughs> I don't know why it keeps happening, but it keeps happening. Uh, and it's like, you know, um, Kubernetes is very complicated, I guess is my, my underlying point. I, um, no, I, I, I totally agree with you. And, and one of the things that when I look at Kubernetes and the whole, um, it's, and I shouldn't just say Istio because it's not, there, there's multiple ways to do a service mesh and we're still trying to figure out which, you know, what the, way, what the ways are. Um, but the whole idea that you need a service mesh in front of a Kubernetes cluster, that in itself to me is a, Oh wait a second! I actually have to put put resilience in front of my you know the container management pieces because networking is hard. Oh, definitely, yeah, definitely. And um, and if I had sort of a visual, I could explain how chat so chat works. I guess I can sort of describe it in words. Maybe this will help you picture how it would work with Kubernetes. So what chat does? Yeah, so I mentioned platform for Netflix. Remember, it was never open source. Open source in Netflix because it's integration software. So, mm. you know, only Netflix, you have to be, you have to be Netflix to get the value from it. Um, but that makes uh, a lot of sense. Yeah. So essentially uh, what it does is it will proactively, um, you know, through something like a service mesh, it will introspect the microservice architecture, right? Uh, it doesn't have to be a service mesh. It can be something like it. Uh, um, and what it will do is it looks for a series of heuristics. You know, heuristics could be that a service is closer to the edge. It gets more requests. It, um, you know, uh, it's a key dependency uh, in, a, in a dependency graph for other key services, you know, heuristics, right? Uh, and what it will do is pro it will proactively take two copies of, of the node. It will label one a control and one an experiment. Uh, and uh, through something like reverse proxy, it will, it will siphon off 0.01 to 0.05% of actual real production traffic. It will route that to both uh, nodes. Uh, for the control, it will pass it back along to its original destination. Okay. And the, for the experiment, that's where we do the chaos engineering. What this does is uh, this um, this creates a margin of safety. So, in that, so if it does fail, if you were wrong uh, with your with your hypothesis of how you <laughs> when you're wrong, yes, that's right. <laughs> you're wrong, right? Because um, we never you never do a chaos experiment you know is going to fail. There's going to be no learning from it. You're just going to break shit, right? Oh, interesting. Like, okay. But like, so we don't expect it to fail, right? So, but if it does and we're wrong and we learn something, 
they're only you're only going to impact 0.01 to 0.05 percent of, of customers uh, of customers using it right that makes a lot uh, of sense control blast radius right control the blast radius exactly right so that's so I, i'm hinting at some of the things we may have in our product right that like allow us to so it's more sophisticated approach than most chaos engineering tool sets provide but like that's the one of the examples we do to sort of um, create that safety margin for you to be able to do the experiments, get value from it without worrying about causing more pain than, uh, than you're fixing. That's fascinating, right? And it makes a lot of sense. This is one of the things that I suspect people are very nervous about even starting with chaos engineering because they don't know how, you know, they don't, they don't have the tools to control the blast radius. They don't know where to start. They don't, they don't know even, you know, how to how to think about the system from that perspective because i know it's just not building in more observability but you might say oh i need to you know do, do you have to fix observability before you start doing experiments what's is there some prereq that that people should be thinking about as they architect systems for chaos engineering you're asking, you're asking all the right questions so i like, um, <laughs> awesome. yeah I, like so you don't want to be doing chaos engineering being at zero observability like so, I mean, like I would say that if there if there's like a maturity you gotta be at, like I would people always think there's like some so advanced uh, level of maturity you have to be at to do chaos engineering. It's just like I don't I think that comes from all the hype in the marketing, right? And then the, the provocative nature of the name. I mean, Netflix did not do chaos engineering when they were mature engineering apparatus, right? They right. they they did chaos engineering during the cloud transformation of DVDs to Amazon. What was happening at that point in time is that, you know, um, AMIs are just disappearing. Poof, there goes an AMI, right? Like, and that was very disruptive for building out their, their, their streaming architecture. And so what they did was that they basically, they, um, they said, well, we're going to build our systems to be resilient to this failure and, and they need a way to, 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 uh, to test it, right? And so they came up with Chaos Monkey. What Chaos Monkey does is for every service, some somewhere during eight to five uh, business hours, uh, your service will go down. Chaos Monkey will bring it down, right? And so what it did was it it it, it wasn't just about breaking stuff or, or or testing sort of the resilience of of what you built. It, what it did was is it put a well defined problem in front of an engineer. It turns out the well defined uh, engineers do uh, do well with well defined problems. They solve them, right? right? And that's really what it's about. So chaos engineering is, is it's about, you know, uh, um, what, like I said, correcting our mental model of how we think the system works versus how it works in reality. But if we do fail, if it doesn't work, if the system didn't function the way we thought it did, it is about capturing that, that outcome, that, that learning, that new, those new insights and giving that back to the engineer that built the thing. They're the only ones that can really get a lot of value from it. I get a lot of, uh, so I'm a bit of a rant, but I get a lot of people asking me about <laughs> auto remediation, right? People ask me about like, like uh, if you discover a, chaos, a failure through chaos engineering, why would you auto remediate the fix? So this is this will always and perpetually mm. ever end in a fiery hell, no matter how much AI special sexy sauce you think you're going to put on it. Like what what I mean by that is that like, so you want to auto remediate a a, a, a a, uh, a fix to a system you didn't understand to begin with, right? You understand what I'm saying? So yeah. like you don't understand what the positive state should have been because you didn't understand what the state was the, uh, at the onset. You understand what I'm saying? I, 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 under, I think I understand it very well because the, when you start with chaos theory, 
there, you have a whole bunch of uncontrolled effects and, and you can't, that, that can't go away. That's going to be, you know, that's part of the environment, but, and, and you're, what you're saying is if you automate it, you're, you're just injecting more chaos really into the system or you're overlooking the fact that there was what, what led up to that chaos. Your goal here is to reduce the surface area of chaos in your environment. I mean, that's what engineering is about, right? You're, you're saying, all right, this is going to be chaotic. This thing had unintended consequences that contributed to the chaos, but I could eliminate that, right? And if without that, my, my chaos in the system goes down or unpredictability in the system goes down. Is that a fair? Yeah, you're, you're spot fair. on. And, and okay. um, um, I'm not sure I got to where your original question was, but. Uh, <laughs> That's fine. I love the rant. And, and, wow. and Steven, Steven's giving me the stink eye. So I'm, I'm going to need to close us out in just a minute. Um, Okay. But I, but I, what I want to do is I want to encourage people to come back to us with questions or ideas. And um, I definitely want to get you back to, so we can go a level deeper in, in how we structure this. And actually I'd love to, to, to look, come back in a couple of months and then play this back in an edge scenario. Um, because I think your insights here could be matched up to, you know, some edge specific problems where the resources are really limited and the, the environments are very constrained. Um, Casey and I would love uh, that. I would love both of us could join. I mean, I think we would both love to. Cool. Know, uh, I, we, we will take you up on that, on that. Um, but since we're out of time, how can people learn more about you, right? How, where, where, where are you going to be? Are there places they can interact and, and engage? Well, uh, conferences-wise, we're always at SRECon and Velocity and you know, sort of the big software conferences. Uh, but um, we, there's one O'Reilly book written by Netflix that was released a couple years ago. We are now releasing the official animal book uh, in January. If anyone Excellent. listens and is very interested in the topic and would like a copy of that, uh, you can email me at Aaron at Verica.io and I'll put you on uh, our, our special list. Uh, to get a copy of that when it comes out. Uh, but, but the book itself will be a great resource to really, you know, uh, what the space is missing is sort of a definition of a really, how do I get started? I mean, what do I experiment on first? You know, how do I make the ROI case? How do I mature my practice? Like, you know, and that's what this book is designed really to, to, to help accelerate people's knowledge and, and, and the usage of the craft. That is awesome and an important thing. Hopefully that we, we've given people enough taste to think through. There are steps people can take. There, there are some concrete things. If you understand what you're doing, you can lay a foundation. Um, and that to me is the big takeaway here is it's not chaos engineering isn't something that you know requires Netflix today to, to do. You can start it um, and you can, you can walk down that path uh, without, without, you know, without having to have a, you know, a huge budget for it. Precisely. But but do spend money on it. <laughs> don't don't assume it's all free either. Oh, that that's, doesn't get yeah, any. Yeah, I mean, if you're building your own tools, I mean, you're paying for people and time. You know, I would. I mean, like as a vendor, of course, I run into that conversation all the time. But like, of course, this practice has so much value. Make sure you're focused on the value that you're intending to go after, not just creating more tools. Because we have enough in the space. That makes sense to me too. And the other one to me is perspective. This is, this is one of those ones, it's very hard to see, see your own flaws, faults, and foibles. Um, wow, I alliterated. Um, You're good. 
There you go. All right, with that, Aaron, thank you so much. Um, we really appreciate you coming on the show um, and, and helping teach everybody about this amazing topic. So hey, thanks thank for you. having me.